1: Ego and check, me. <laughs> yeah,
0: it's a date.
1: <laughs> it's a date.
0: Hello and welcome. I'm Peter Ayers and you're listening to the Stages Podcast. My guest today is Tobias Madden. Originally from Ballarat, Tobias began his training at the Ballarat Ballet Centre. He then studied at Brent Street in Sydney and completed a Bachelor of Music Theatre at the Western Australian Academy of Performing Arts in 2009. Shortly after graduating, he sailed around the world as the singer, dancer and dance captain on board the Pacific Princess, returning home to perform in the Australian and New Zealand tour of Mary Poppins, in which Tobias understudied and performed the role of Bert. A succession of musical theatre performances followed. In recent years, he has continued to tell stories but via another platform. Tobias has struck a chord with readers as an author of young adult fiction. His debut novel, Anything But Fine, was longlisted for the Australian Book Industry Awards. His second novel, Take A Bow, Noah Mitchell, was released by Penguin Books in August. Whether on the page or on the stage, Tobias has contributed vividly as a storyteller. Tobias Madden, welcome to the Stages podcast. Um, although, um, in honour of you, I think, in, in this episode, I'm going to uh, rename, just for this episode, Pages. So, welcome to Pages. <laughs> Thank you so much. It's, it's so fun to be here. And congratulations on on the recent release of your second novel, Take About Noah Mitchell. That must be very exciting.
1: Yeah, it is. It's, um, you know every book feels like this kind of mammoth task so to have another one out in the world um is really amazing you know you spend so much time on these books you know by yourself locked in the study so when they come out into the world and people actually read them and you get to talk to readers and and hear their thoughts it's really really cool
0: hot on the heels of course of uh, your debut novel which came out in 2021 anything but fine yeah um that's a that's a exciting quick turnaround had you you planned that or were you commissioned to write a few and you release them on a yearly basis
1: yeah kind of both I mean like my plan was sort of to always do you know, three in three years. Um, I'm not sure why. It just sounded like a really nice idea to me. Um, and then, you know, I was contracted for those books as well. So then that puts a little bit more um, <laughs> pressure on on that. Um, and I think it's a little more work than I anticipated to get three out in three years. I'm, I'm on track for that. Um, I have very, very recently finished um, the draft of my third, well, hypothetical third book. Um, so yeah, it's been it's been a pretty big, big few years, um, and the work kind of just piles up in a way that I didn't anticipate. There's so much admin that comes with being an author, aside from actually writing the books, um, which you know just these constant emails back and forth to a million different people, um, and that really piles up. <laughs> on top of everything else um and i've been really lucky to do a bunch of events and festivals and stuff so when you add all of that in it's um very much a full-time job
0: so it's not just not just writing it's actually the business of writing as well
1: yeah because i guess you really are your own kind of business um which is something that i hadn't really thought about um i you know was used to that a little bit you know coming from the performing world and having to hustle kind of non-stop um, But yeah, it's kind of just this this never-ending list of things to do as an author, um, which I love as well. I love, you know, getting to pick all those things. But um, it is nice when you get to sit down and actually just do the writing. It feels almost calming in a way to just sit down with the laptop and actually write um, in amongst all the rest of the
0: stuff. Are you reading anything at, at present for, for your own enjoyment or time is just taken up with meeting deadlines? <laughs> um, <laughs> I
1: I read a lot. Um, the last couple of years I have been reading uh, mainly books for festivals or books that I'm um, providing endorsement quotes for, that sort of thing. So there hasn't been a great deal of reading exclusively for pleasure. Luckily, though, all of the books that I have had to read are fantastic books. Um, I'm about to start reading um, a dear friend of mine's middle grade fiction debut novel, um, which I have read before, but I'm reading the proper finished copy now, um, which I'm very excited to see what's changed and um, and how that's kind of progressed from the draft that I read. Um, yeah, so that's next up, a very fun kind of, spooky kids' book.
0: What um, Were you an avid reader growing up? Were, were, were books part of the household?
1: Yeah, I mean, I like my mum's a teacher, so my brother and I learned to read and write kind of well before we went to school. So books were always a very, very big part of our lives. Um, and I think like most people do, when I finished high school, I had a bit of a break. I think, you know, the way that you have to kind of examine books in high school takes the fun away from it a little bit. And I think a lot of people do sort of, yeah, steer steer clear of books for a little while when they finish high school. Um, But then sort of, yeah, in my 20s, I really got back into it um, and have read, you know, a a lot more than I ever read as a child. Even Um, since then, it's kind of just been Non-stop since i I think particularly since I decided to um, decided to really start focusing on writing as a career, reading becomes such a big part of that because you you learn so much more from reading than from any other kind of writing sort of you know courses and stuff like that, which you know can be fantastic. But for me, the real learning is just from reading, so it's kind of yeah an integral part of the process.
0: It's interesting that uh, you know when you're in high school or, or even university and you are forced to investigate particular novels and and stories, which seem to be so painstaking at the time. But um, there's uh, an incredible enjoyment that comes with that, and you don't realise it till much later in life. You know, I think of. You know, Tess of the D'Urbervilles and The Mill on the Floss and um, all those Dickens books, which I probably would never have picked up, only that, you know, as part of English Literature Study, yeah. we had to do it. And now I'm so grateful that that I did because of the, the language and the story. Someone like Mark Twain and Huckleberry Finn writing in the vernacular for those characters.
1: Mm, yeah, it's it's fascinating. And I think, like, there are a couple of books that I look back on now from um, from my studies in Year 12. Um one we did was The Girl with the Pearl Earring, which is probably something I wouldn't read. I don't read a lot of kind of that historical fiction sort of stuff, but I loved reading it back then. And I, I think it would be really great to revisit it now as an adult and, and yeah, kind of delve back into that world. Um, but, yeah, you're right. I think there's, there's a lot of things that we're kind of forced to read that as adults we're grateful about um but as teenagers it might seem a little unnecessary at the time
0: (laughs) um so what were the books that that you did devour growing up who who were your favorite authors
1: um so the big one for me was probably the goosebumps series when i was like Very Young um, by R.L. Stein, which is just, um, for anyone who isn't familiar with Goosebumps, it's kind of a never-ending series of um, junior fiction books that are all kind of very creepy and scary and and spooky. And I I think I started reading them probably a couple of years before I should have, (laughs) but because I was a good reader, you know, you tend to read above the level of, of, you know, what you're supposed to. And so, yeah, I became obsessed with the Goosebumps books and then followed that up pretty soon after with um, another series called Animorphs, which was about these kids who turn into animals um, and fight this war with these aliens who are attacking Earth, it all sounds very silly, but I actually reread one of those books quite recently, um, just for fun. And I was really blown away by how good the book is, even reading it as a, you know, 30 something year old, Um, just really dark and really um, funny and interesting. And I can see why, as a kid, I was so completely, you know, taken by it
0: and little did you know at the time i imagine but it was preparing and informing you for for work that you would be doing you know uh, two decades later
1: yeah it's funny i mean like i i always was reading and writing as a child but then i i think a lot of kids you know even now don't ever think that being a writer is a legitimate career like that it's not actually an option like you think of authors as these kind of mythical you know, people like astronauts and stuff like that, where you're like, oh, that's not a real job. That's, you know, just something that, you know, a very, very few people in the world ever get to experience. A bit, being a being a painter or a rock star. <laughs> yeah, totally. It's just one of those things that you're like, oh, wow, there's, you know, people that do that. But that's not, you know, for me, obviously, because I've got to get a real job. So, you know, it wasn't until much later in life that I realised I could actually kind of use those skills. Um, after i yeah decided to stop performing and wanted to still be creative i was like what else is there what else can you do and that's sort of yeah when i turned to writing so it is really interesting looking back on those childhood years and being like yeah i had no idea what that was preparing me for
0: uh so the draw towards young adult fiction why why that um how did that appeal
1: yeah i mean I don't really know. I've always I've always enjoyed young adult fiction. I love the style, and I like you know whether it's um, you know a TV show or a movie for teens or books for teens. I really connect with those stories, um, and I think there's something in um, there's something in a lot of queer writers. I think being drawn to YA stories um, because we kind of get to tell the stories that we didn't get to live as teenagers, which I think is part of it, Um, because so many of us, you know, of my generation and, and people older than me, you know, we didn't we didn't come out until way after those kind of teen years. And so we missed out on all of those kind of first, you know, first love and all that romance in high school and stuff that, you know, so many other people got to experience and you see in media so often. So I think, you know, there's a certain power in Um, yeah, going back to those teen experiences and kind of rewriting your own history, I guess, in a way. Um, So I think that's probably part of the appeal.
0: Has the queer experience been very prevalent in young adult fiction? Because, you know, your your two protagonists, Luca Mason and and Noah Mitchell, are are young um, men about to explore their sexuality and discover who they are.
1: Yeah, I think um, these days there's quite a lot of queer representation in teen fiction. I think probably until, oh, I reckon until like 2015, 16, that kind of area, there was very, very little. Um, But then there was kind of a bit of a boom um, when publishers realised how um, commercial those stories could be, um, which is what it always comes down to. You know, publishing is a business and, you know, the publisher's um, I think before then weren't willing to take risks on those kind of stories because, you know, they they have to make money, which sounds silly, but it is part of it. Um, but then I think, you know, there are a couple of really big breakout hits um, and particularly, you know, books like um, Simon versus the Homo sapiens agenda, which was adapted into the film Love, Simon, which was this huge kind of, you know, commercial box office hit. And so then I think a lot of people, you know, really stood up and paid attention. And, and said, oh, maybe teenagers are actually, you know, desperate for this this kind of material. So why don't we give them that? Um so there's a ton coming out of America. Um and Australia
0: is really following suit, which is really cool to see. It'd be lovely to see um Love Luca or Love Noah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I would certainly love a, a film adaptation, that's for sure. So <laughs> we'll cross cross our fingers for that.
0: Um, your other great passion, musical theatre, um what were your favourite musicals growing up? Did you have cast recordings in the house?
1: I did. I Yeah, I um, I discovered theatre quite late. Um, I just, it wasn't, I don't know why, I just like my family, no one in my family sort of really went to see musicals and stuff like that. It just wasn't really a part of our kind of, yeah, family culture. But then I remember seeing like a couple of plays, like school plays at my brother's high school when I was a bit younger and being like, oh, that's really cool. And so then I think mum started looking out for, you know, things to take me to. Um, the first musical I ever saw was Cats um, when it came to Ballarat in the big top, in the big black kind of cat tent. Um, so that was my the first thing I ever saw. And then I distinctly remember doing my own version of the Jellicle Ball in the lounge room to a CD that mum bought um at some point. Um and from then on, like my whole life kind of became about theater. And I, I think I kind of forgot about books a little bit at that point as well. Um, and yeah, I think initially because our knowledge of theater was so narrow, um the first shows that I kind of was exposed to all of the Andrew Lloyd and was like, oh, well, what else, you know, what else is there? So then we found all of those shows. Um, and then, yeah, started doing shows in Ballarat, which, you know, it became, you know, a huge part of my late teen experience. Um, and then, yeah, the rest is kind of history from there, um, which, you know, I it's it's so interesting, because again, it was not something that I ever anticipated, but then it became,
0: yeah, my entire life, this this theatre world. Well, Ballarat is a great place to grow up um, because of the, the, the cultural perspectives which are presented all around the town. I mean, I think there's um, there's about four theatre companies which uh, exist there now, which is extraordinary.
1: Yeah, it is. It, people often ask me that when they read my books. They're like, are there really this many, like, dancers and theatre people in Ballarat? And, you know, proudly I can say, yes, there <laughs> genuinely are. Like, there's there would have to be, like, I don't know, like, 12 dance schools or something and like you said like a few different amateur theater companies and um heaps of like um bands and like indie kind of you know music venues and stuff like that which for a town of you know like a hundred thousand people or something is pretty baffling but um it's yeah it's amazing and and the perfect place to grow up if you're interested in, in theater and music
0: well you look at some of the um uh, the alumni which have come out of you know the ballarat um comu- community theater scene um uh, i hate doing this list because i'm always <laughs> miss somebody out but you know david hobson and and roger lemke and um jackie dark and simon maiden and chelsea gibb and mm. amy maiden and um, now yourself, um you know, and right, even long before that, you know, opera singers like Elsie Morrison, um, mm. of course, was was produced by Ballarat. So, you know. Yeah, so. there's
1: there's a ton. I mean, I don't know if it's like, you know, Ballarat is very close to Melbourne. So maybe the proximity to all of the theatre and the, the culture and stuff down there helps in that regard. But I don't know, there might be something in the water because, you know, the talent is is pretty extreme per capita, I would say.
0: It's probably the, the the city was built on you know the gold rush and you know um, public houses and theatres were were all part of the um, infrastructure to to entertain the miners and, and the, the people yeah. migrated there and it was perhaps just a hangover but but you know even Royal South Street Society, you know oh and, yeah uh, the competitors have come from all around the world Dame Kerry and uh, yeah all run <laughs> <laughs> all won prizes exactly. at South Street I did know, you ever it's do wild. did you ever do South Street
1: yeah, I did a bunch at South Street. Uh, I did um yeah, lots of dance trips with my ballet school and I did some um acting things and some debating and um yeah, it's I used to look forward to South Street more than most things in the year. It's such a such a special time and I, you know, it's I don't know any other Estedfords in Australia that are that big, you know, even in the big cities. Like it goes for like months or something. It's crazy. Christ.
0: So career aspirations when you were when you were at school, I mean you, you, you're delving into school productions too, I guess, as well as community theater, all of your dance classes. Mm-hmm. Uh, was that uh, at the forefront of your thinking that you would be a performer? Or had you considered other things?
1: Um, I mean, I think like in early high school, I had considered a lot of kind of random normal careers. But then once I once I started doing shows in Ballarat, you know, you hear. Here, places like WAPA and all of that being, you know, spoken about by other people. And that pretty quickly became my dream um, to sort of, yeah, follow that path and um, hopefully get to attend WAPA and then hopefully, you know, do some shows um, like the ones that I had, you know, been seeing in Melbourne and stuff like that. So um, yeah, that became a very solid goal. And I think, you know, a lot of my teachers, found that quite frustrating because I was quite a good student at school and I think a lot of them wanted me to pursue more academic careers but um once I yeah once I had my sights that set on musicals that was kind of it for me um and you know I was I was really lucky to then be able to um move to Sydney and I studied at Brent Street for a year up here and then I did go to WAPA in Perth for three years um which was you know the most kind of you know fantastic formative experience Um, and then yeah had this you know really wonderful career on stage which was kind of you know everything that I had dreamed it would be which you know is is pretty amazing.
0: It's often the best way to to blanch a careers advisor's face or a certain (laughs) breed of teacher by going in and uh, saying that you want to be an actor. Um, Yeah. (laughs) they have they have their best interests at heart for you, but you know, I think it's important to let somebody encourage encourage them to just follow the path and and um and their story. Um and as you are discovering also, I mean I read, read it uh once that uh, I forget who said, but we would have about three careers in our lifetime, mm. um, which is absolutely uh, certainly been my experience um, rather than you know when you're leaving high school preparing to go out into the big world and you think oh my god I've got a I've got to pick a bigger job that I'm going to do for the rest of my life
1: yeah and that's what it feels like it's it's a really really weird thing and I I do wish that um, more more schools encourage students to just pursue the thing that they're most passionate about at that time not necessarily you know the thing that you know the university course that they can get into because of their you know their atar or whatever because that's so much of what it is is just like what score can you get and then here's the courses you can get into i just yeah i wish that it was more kind of passion and curiosity focused because i feel like people would be a lot happier you know in that first that first career that everyone has i think people would yeah find a lot more joy um and then you know i think it's really important to make it clear to young people as well that you know you do get to then move on to something else and your interests change so vastly over the you know over the span of your life that it's natural for you to be interested in different things and and to want to try different careers and you know i think luckily that's become a lot more normal for us these days you know like our grandparents generation they really did have one job for 60 years and that's all they ever did but that's changed so much and i'm so grateful because Otherwise, you know, that's, that's way too much pressure for an 18-year-old to decide what they want to do until they're 70. That's that's ridiculous.
0: Yeah, absolutely. There's many pathways to achieving your goals. Yeah. Uh, now, to, Tobias, I've got an audition coming up for um, the musical Oliver. Would you <laughs> recommend I sing Yellow Submarine at the audition? <laughs> oh gosh where did you hear that oh I I, I've done my research um that's very (laughs) cute that's very cute um how old were you when you auditioned for Oliver in Ballarat
1: um I would have been I was 14 when I did the show so it was probably at the start of that year so probably 14 yeah um and you know it was the first musical I had ever auditioned for um actually, except for a very tiny school musical that I did the year before where we all had to sing the national anthem. They didn't even make us choose a song because that was the kind of school that I went to at that point. Um, And so, yeah, I knew nothing about musicals. I knew nothing about auditions. Um, And I had, I played the piano and I had this piano book of just, you know, had random songs. And one of the songs in the book was Yellow Submarine. And I was like, well, I could sing that. And I've got the music for it so that'll do i didn't realize it had to be you know from a musical or appropriate for the show um so i went in and sang yellow submarine but it all works out well because i did get cast in the show um and so yeah but i learned my lesson
0: (laughs) oh no no i I feel your um your, your your pain um my when i was first auditioning i chose um don't cry out loud I'd heard Peter oh. sing it on the record player at home. So I thought I'll do that one. Um obviously <laughs> I made an do. impression. I made an impression. Um, so community theater, what what does that do for a budding professional? Um I love the experience because you are forced to to do so many things should you wish, whether that be arrange range props mm. or work backstage, do makeup, perform.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think. I think you you kind of just you learn everything about a show and about performing because you know a lot of kids do dance lessons and they do singing lessons and all that stuff but putting in practice in a show is a completely different experience when you have to you know and doing a whole show rather than just like a scene from a musical or you know one song from a musical it's just that whole experience and And I guess, you know, seeing your place and where you fit into that kind of machine that is a musical is really important. Um, And for young people, watching the older cast members around them and learning, you know, all of the etiquette and, you know, all of that stuff, there's just so much that you learn from actually doing a musical. And, you know, as as a child, unless you're one of the ones who's lucky enough to do... A big touring musical like you know Mary Poppins or Annie or something that has kids in it, those community theater shows are the only way that you can really learn. Um, and in a different way to you know what you would get in a school musical where you're all the same age, you know, being in Oliver, for me, watching performers, you know, who were 30 or 50 or 60, you know, I just I learned so much about yeah, about musicals and about how that works, which I think is just, you know, so invaluable.
0: Well, that experience has certainly formed um, the background of, of uh, Take A Bow, Noah Mitchell, um, in that it's set in the world of, um, I'm going to say community theatre. I don't like the word amateur theatre because community yeah. theatre involves that, you know, there's this dis- disparate group of people come together and mm. some are their yes for the socialisation, but some are there because they have aspirations of actually becoming professional one day. Um so uh, you paint this beautiful portrait in in the book of those rehearsal rooms um the different characters that that are there together. I mean I was just re- reading a description <laughs> of uh, Noah first attending the rehearsal for Chicago <laughs> um and laughing out loud because I could start to even though you say you don't you don't um base your characters on anyone in particular I could they summoned up images of people that um, I used to work with too. So, uh, But it's done very lovingly, very respectfully.
1: Yeah, it's it's been such a fun thing. And that was one of my favourite parts of, of writing the book was just exploring that theatre world in Ballarat because, you know, it's one I know so well and it's one that I adore. But it was really interesting to look at it through an outsider's eyes because, you know, there are so many things in the theatre world that, you know, to someone who isn't a part of that world, seem completely ridiculous and are just genuinely funny um and all of those characters like i think everyone would know someone who's like those those characters you know because they're they're all kind of those archetypes that you do find in that community theater world and in the professional theater world um and that i think they're really recognizable and, and it's so fun to play with all of those those characters and and yeah just through those fresh eyes of this kid who is from a completely different world just i think you know adds a different (laughs) layer of humor to it and it's also great for someone who might not be a big theater person who's reading the book because then they get to sort of learn all about it you know with noah
0: as he goes along on that journey well noah is part of a tribe which um i always should feel so sorry for because you'd be in rehearsal for a a musical and of course there'd be a dearth of boys. So the the d- director of the committee would say, Does anyone know any boys that would like to come do the musical? So, <laughs> you know, somebody's brother would be brought along with someone's cousin, or you know, I've got a workmate that had come along because he yeah. wants to meet some girls.
1: <laughs> um, and they'd be like a fish
0: out of water. Um, could probably have two left feet, but by the end of it, we're absolutely absolutely in love with um showbiz and couldn't wait for the next show.
1: Yeah, and I think you know, it really speaks to also just the the community of that world and i think that's what a lot of people fall in love with and what keeps them coming back to doing shows like that is just that it really does become you know this family and it's such a beautiful kind of open and supportive place that i think you know is a really special thing for a lot of teenagers in particular um and in queer kids as well you know to find that community where it's just you know really accepting and fun and you get to put on these beautiful shows and it's you know it's just such a
0: such a great time i love the relationship between noah and his mum also <laughs> mum's playing Val kelly in a production of chicago <laughs> it must be uh it's a lovely relationship but he's so embarrassed by everything she does and again i recognize that, that mother character. Your mother <laughs> yeah. was your mother part of um community theater in Ballarat?
1: No, she was not. Um, not at all. She loved coming to watch them, but she was never in any of the shows with me. Um, so I can safely say that Noah's mum is not based on my own. Um, but yeah, I mean I I love that character. I loved writing her, um, and I love you know that relationship that she has with Noah, which is really, really difficult um and complex and you know, in my first book, the the parental relationship, um, you know, is this single father and his son. And it's a really, really beautiful relationship because I hadn't seen that kind of um, thing on the page before in a young adult book with this, you know, father who's just completely supportive of his gay son. And it's just this really loving kind of relationship. So that's, you know, why I wrote that. But then this time I was like, well, you know, I know not all teenagers have that relationship with their parents Um, you know whether it's long term or just for those teen years where everything just suddenly gets incredibly complicated and you really don't want to be associated with your parents in any way.
0: You drop know, me off in the corner end. don't drop me off out the front of school I'll walk the rest of the way. <laughs>
1: yeah 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 we've all been there and so you know layering on top of that you know that these these two characters are Completely different in every way, and and don't share any interests. Um, it, it was just a really interesting relationship to write, um, especially with you know this character, Rose Noah's mum, who you know I know many people that are you know like her in so many ways. Um, so it was yeah, it was a lot of a lot of fun to write, and she's so embarrassing. It just I, I cringe even thinking about a lot of those moments. It's just so much fun.
0: Um, any anything but fine. You know the Luca's story. Um, it's also so touching as well because he's a kid who is so passionate about dance and he has an accident and then has to confront the fact that he may not be able to dance again and, and what is he going to do?
1: Yeah, and I mean, I think that kind of speaks to um, what we are talking about before, about, you know, you have to decide suddenly when you're a teenager what you want to do. Well, Luca, yeah, he's always had these aspirations of being a dancer and then that's taken away and you know he has to start from scratch and and how do you do that as a 16 year old um which you know is not only applicable to dancers but to sports people and you know so many kids who you know might not get the results that they need to do the university course that they've always dreamed of and all of that sort of stuff like I think you know we don't talk enough about what happens when dreams don't come true for teenagers we put so much pressure on like you know having these goals and having these lofty aspirations but then we don't prepare them at all for what happens if they don't happen you know which um i think is a big mistake on you know our part as adults and teachers and parents i think yeah there's just a, there's a lot of pressure and it's tough out there kids so it's yeah that was really fun to explore as well just being like you know what do you do when you have to start from scratch
0: did you have a good time in Perth at WAPA
1: yes yeah <laughs> it's um yeah three three of the definitely the most entertaining years of my life I would say um it's you know just I think that university experience in general is such a such a important time in people's lives and then layering on all of the singing and dancing on top of that just makes it this you know it's out of this world it's just a, it's a it's almost like a fantasy land kind of where you just sing and dance all day every day for three years and that's your only concern and it's just you know it's it's pretty pretty special
0: yes <laughs> i know they're long hours too eight till six and um you're running from class to class
1: yeah it's it's exhausting and it really does you know give you the resilience that you need in the industry because it's not easy out there, you know, as a professional performer either. And I think, you know, those courses, and there's there's so many more of them now as well than back, you know, when I went to WAPA, um, but those courses really do prepare you for so many things in life, you know, and I've taught in some of those courses as well. And I always try and make it really clear to the students that, you know, what they're learning is not just singing and dancing it's not just about theater there are so many skills that you pick up that will take you really really far in life in any career um because you know unfortunately the the reality is that a lot of those people probably won't ever get to perform professionally either um and so you know i hate to think that anyone would think that those years are wasted because they're absolutely not you know people my actor friends when they decide to get other jobs or you know investigate other careers fall into things so quickly because they really do have so many kind of life skills and so many qualities that um you know any employer is desperate for and so it's just yeah you learn you learn a lot more than you think you do um which i think is really cool
0: yeah yeah as you say life skills things like collaboration and problem solving and um becoming yeah, yeah, a world yeah, yeah citizen you know because <laughs> we've walked so many times in other people's boots um We understand people.
1: Yeah, 100%. It's just like, you know, the empathy and creativity, you know, can take you so far in in many different directions because, you know, creativity is the basis of all problem solving, whether it's logical or not. You know, it's that that way to sort of think outside the box and and be creative and and find solutions is just,
0: yeah, it's super important. So what was the first pro gig you scored out of Whopper?
1: Uh, My very first job was um, dancing on a cruise ship, um, which I was a singer-dancer and a dance captain. I did about 10 months um, on the Pacific Princess, um, mainly in the Mediterranean, but we also did a world cruise and sailed completely the whole way around the world from Rome back to Rome. Um, So I think we went to about 37 different countries um, in 10 months, which was mind-blowing.
0: That's extraordinary.
1: Yeah, a wonderful and I experience. Ne- yeah, and I had never left the country before. Um, so for me, flying over there, I was just you know completely mind blown at you know at every turn. Um, it was absolutely phenomenal. Um, and then when I came back from the ship, um, I got cast in uh, Mary Poppins pretty much as soon as I got back um, and joined that tour in Sydney, um, which you know I, I saw the show here in Sydney not that long ago. Um, Because it's back 10 years later, um, which was very, very strange to see it again uh, with, you know, a whole
0: different cast. Um, Before we talk about Mary Poppins, um, just on a cruise ship, is it difficult singing and dancing on a stage on a boat? (laughs) I mean, depending on the weather outside. Yes,
1: the answer is yes. It can be very difficult. Generally, you know, it was okay. Um, It's never stationary obviously because the shows all happen while the ship is sailing you never do a show in your own port so it's always ever so slightly moving so you know you get a good core workout um but there were certain shows that we did that you know the ship was definitely rocking and you find that you you know, you're crossing the stage and suddenly you're going uphill, which is just such a weird feeling. <laughs> or you, you know, do do a certain jump or something and then the floor comes up to meet you instead of you going back down. It's just it's we had some very, very strange shows. Um, they usually cancel them if it's very rocky because it's obviously incredibly dangerous to be, you know, lifting girls above your head and stuff while the ship is rocking that much. But, um, yeah, we did have some pretty, pretty interesting shows from time to time.
0: Now, with Mary Poppins, you understudied Burt also and you went on for Bert, didn't you? Yeah,
1: I did. Um, I think I did about um, 20 shows as Burt, which was really, really cool over the year and a half or whatever that I was doing the show. Um, such a dream role for me, you know, as a young person. I was very young to be doing it as well. I was only 24 or something, I think, at the time. Um, but, you know, I loved that show so much and I, as soon as I had... You know heard the soundtrack and saw bits and pieces online i knew that i wanted to do the show so that was a real dream to get to do that touring around australia and new zealand and all of that um
0: yeah it was it was incredible bird has some brilliant moments in the show but, but one I i think is one of the most thrilling bits of staging i have seen and that's when he caps up and around the proscenium um Tell me about that. Is that scary? You talk <laughs> talk about work on a boat and having a core workout, but um, yeah, <laughs> that's magical. Yeah, it's
1: a brilliant moment in the show, and I mean, it's it's not like I wasn't scared. I'm not afraid of heights or anything like anything like that. Um, but it is much harder than it looks. Um, all of the birds who I've ever seen do the show make it look incredibly easy, um, but it is quite difficult. You're yeah, I don't know, like your balance and you know your equilibrium and your core trying to do all of that when you're horizontal and then vertical upside down is you know I mean bodies aren't supposed to do that sort of stuff really so it's quite an adjustment to make um and because I joined the show halfway through the tour I had to learn how to do that pretty quickly um you know I think the the boys who were playing Bert or understudying Bert originally had a bit more of a lead up and a, and a few more practices at that, than, you know, those of us who joined later in the tour. So it was kind of, yeah, thrown in the deep end and just, ha- there's there's no way to practice it either. You just have to do it. Like you, it's just, yeah, you just, they're like, all right, we'll hook you up, off you go. And it's like,
0: well, okay. <laughs> um, is, is, Did rehearsal consist of, you know, you do it and you think, um, I want to I do it again. And you do it three, four, five times in a row
1: yeah. but with that, you know there's such limited time, you know stage time and stuff when a show is already running that you kind of get a, a couple of goes and then it's kind of just has to be good enough, especially as an understudy. Um you know luckily, whenever I went on, we would do it before the show, just so that you had it in your body um before the show because that moment happens in the middle of the big step in time number, which is such a huge number. Bert in every way all of the singing and all of the dancing and he has a big tap solo before it and all of this stuff so it's um yeah you don't even get a second to think about it in the show so it's they're always very good at you know making sure you feel safe before the show and and checking stuff which is (laughs) kind of highly necessary.
0: Um, Are you superstitious in the theatre? Did you practice any rituals or?
1: Um I mean I grew up very superstitious in the theater i think you know in ballarat um there were a lot of those superstitions carried down through the generations um but then when i got into the professional world i think i lost a lot of those you know all of the things like no whistling in the wings and um or in the theater at all um and some of my friends are pretty funny about some of the um you know, the play that you're not allowed to say the name of in the theatre and all of that sort of stuff, but I never took it too seriously. Um, I definitely had my own little rituals and stuff that I would do, but not superstitions.
0: Yeah. There are lots of challenges and and also triumphs in navigating a career as a performer. Um, how, do, how do you... Well, what advice can you give about an artist? How do they equip themselves to handle rejection? Because there is a lot of rejection. There's a lot of auditions you go for that you don't get. Um, how did mm. you survival of that
1: um I mean I don't know I don't really know if there is any way you can prepare people for that because it feels you know slightly different every time as well depending on what the show was and and what the role was and how much you wanted to do it and what else is happening like I think I think the only way to to learn how to deal with it is to be forced to deal with rejection um but i do think you know there are lots of tools that we can probably give people to make it easier in the moment um you know it's just it's so hard not to completely define yourself by each audition and your worth as a person i think that's what a lot of performers do is that instead of making things about their career or their vocation it becomes about you as a person so when you don't get a show it feels like a personal attack on you which it's a hundred percent not because most of the time it's not even you know it's never that you're not talented or that you're not a good singer or a good dancer it's just fitting that jigsaw that a musical is you know you just have to be the the exact right thing at the right time so I think you know for me it was always just trying to remind myself that it it wasn't about yeah Tobias as a person it was just about <laughs> this this show and what they needed and, and what you provide.
0: So when did the decision come to to step away from the stage and um, maybe invest um, yourself in writing?
1: I think I was about 28 maybe 28 or 29 so I'd been doing professional shows for probably you know like eight years eight or nine years um And I think a lot of my friends went through a pretty similar transition at that exact time. I think it's a pretty common time for performers to sort of start looking for other things. Um, You know, I think it becomes a little bit harder to get jobs at that age. There's always a, you know, a new crop of of 21 22 year olds coming out of all the theater schools every year and you know they're very easy to employ and they're very keen and you can pay them less as well which is a big part of it for producers so it yeah it just it got a bit harder to find work um and i also found that i wasn't um i wasn't as interested in the work you know i just i would do a show and you know be happy to do it but I wasn't like I'm not loving this like I used to like you know when I did Mary Poppins or when I did Cats and and there were these glorious experiences I I just I was kind of losing a bit of that magic I think and so I started yeah looking for other ways to be creative Um, and I think maybe that's part of it as well I think you know those those big musicals like I said you know are kind of a machine and you don't have a lot of creativity which sounds silly because it's a musical and you're singing and dancing all the time but you know you're not creating any of that you're just kind of told what to do and how to do it and when to do it and you have to do it eight times a week um and so yeah i think i just started longing for something that felt a bit more creative
0: so uh, luca mason anything but fine and noah mitchell take a bow noah mitchell how do you conjure a story? Do you decide on your protagonist first and what their, their personal experience is going to be and then build that world around them? What to, Tell us about your process.
1: Um, I guess, like, first I just kind of have an idea, you know, for a story, whether it's just, um, whether it's a character or, uh, you know, that kind of first moment in a story, the sort of inciting incident that sets an emotion, or sometimes it's the climax of the story um, that I find really interesting. And then, yeah, I just, I have that kind of kernel of an idea and then just sit down um, with a journal and just start writing tons and tons of notes and possible plot lines and possible characters. And it just turns into this big, you know, enormous brainstorm that happens probably over the, the course of, you know, like a month or so where I'm constantly just adding, threads and adding you know possibilities and elements and and then I sit down and have to sift through all of that and kind of form it into something cohesive um some writers don't plan they just sit down and write which I find baffling I don't think I could ever do that um so I like to really plan everything out and have have a really solid structure and know exactly what's going to happen at every step of the way um in the book and then when I have that then I can sit down and start actually sort of yeah writing the words themselves
0: so anything you can give away about the third book story story wise
1: um yeah I mean it's the third one um happens in the protagonist's first year after high school um which is an age that I've always really wanted to write because I think it's a fascinating time in a teenager's life when they've finished school and then suddenly have this expanse of, you know, God knows what before them. Um, So that's kind of, yeah, when it happens. And there's a big travel element in the book, um, which was really, really fun to write. I was writing it, you know, over the course of 2021, I guess. Yeah, 2021. Um, And most of this year when we haven't really been able to travel. So it was really cool for me to be able to, you know, immerse myself in that world and, and take myself away.
0: Will it have any theatrical influence?
1: It does have a, um, yeah, it does have a bit of a theatrical influence. I don't think I could ever write a book that doesn't. Um, (laughs) So there's definitely some theatre in there, some travel, um, you know, some, you know, big new experiences. Um, Yeah, it was tons of fun to write.
0: Write what you know.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, they always say that and I think I take it to the nth degree, <laughs> which um, maybe I'm cheating, um, but I haven't had to do a whole ton of research for anything that I've written yet. So <laughs> maybe I'm just t- taking the easy way out.
0: I love seeing those uh, publicity photos of authors as they sit down and they're about to open the box of the first delivery of published novels that they've just just given birth to. Um, mm. Describe that feeling for me. Um, it's, yeah, it's pretty
1: mind-blowing. I mean, especially the very first one, you know, the debut novel, it's, it's something that feels like it never will happen because, you know, writing is so hard and writing a book is (laughs) so difficult in itself. But then on top of that, to get a literary agent and then to find a publisher and actually sort of go through that whole process and then have this physical thing, this copy of this story that, you know, that you wrote and that you brought to life, it's, incredibly overwhelming um and even you know just the i can remember so distinctly the moment when i found out that um i had a publishing deal for anything but fine and it just was yeah completely overwhelming and i i expected it to be this moment of just real kind of like elation and joy and that i'd be singing and dancing around the house but i kind of just like it was this real moment of stillness and I actually sat on the floor after I checked the email from my agent and kind of just sat there for a while, not sure how to process how enormous that feeling was kind of. It was it was very different to what I expected. Um it was yeah very still and very quiet and very yeah very
0: big. (laughs) Not unlike what I imagine it is to become a parent. These are your literary children. (laughs) Yeah I mean I it's
1: in a sense, I guess I, I don't have children yet, but um I imagine, yeah, it's probably not quite as big as having an actual baby, um, but um I guess there's a lot of work that goes into writing a book, possibly more than making a baby, which, you know, is kind of just happens. I mean, <laughs> I've never made one, so that's probably very wrong. I'm sure it's very, very difficult, um, but yeah, writing a book is no, <laughs> no small feat
0: well tobias it's been lovely chatting to you and um all the best for uh, future wonderful characters and wonderful worlds that you create for for young adult fiction um have you thought about other genres that you might like to write in
1: yeah i mean i think i'd love to write for adults one day um i don't think i would write for younger children i love writing for teens um but i think yeah it'd be really cool i think particularly as i get older to explore some of you know those other experiences that you have in your 20s and 30s. Because, um, you know, there's, there's no shortage of stories to tell. So hopefully I get to
0: keep telling them. Well, uh, take a bow, Tobias, man. Love you chatting.
1: Thank you so much. Thanks for having me.
0: Tobias's novels, Anything But Fine and Take A Bow, Noah Mitchell, are published by Penguin Books. You can find them online and from all good bookshops. If you're in Sydney, I got mine at the bookshop in Darlinghurst. They're perfect fodder for the young adult in your family or for anyone who enjoys a good read. Let's hope it's not too long before we get to see Tobias' third novel, Go Tobias. Thanks for joining us in this episode. Don't forget to tell your friends that the podcast exists and it's worth a listen. You can also access it via Apple Podcasts, Spotify or wherever you find your favourite podcasts. I'm Peter Ayers. Keep well, keep warm, stay safe and I'll catch you next time, you know where, on Stages.